Mastermind Agent is proud to present success calls. Top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com. Hi, I'm Mike Cerrone with Mastermind Agent. This month's top agent is Chris Suarez with Keller Williams Realty in Portland, Oregon. Last year, he closed 220 transactions with a total sales volume of $73 million. His average sales price was $331,000, of which 45% were buyers and 55% were sellers. He operates a team with 11 members, two divisional leaders, two buyer agents, two showing assistants, one listing agent, two transaction coordinators, one listing manager, and one team leader. Chris Suarez is the team leader of PDX Property Group. He's been an agent for 11 years. In this call, Chris talks about starting over in three different markets after three relocations, getting a fast start doing daily open houses, the nitty-gritty details for open house success, developing multiple $20 million niches within your practice, opening a shopping mall kiosk that brought in $13 million in sales in its first full year, using the principles of the MREA book to model and duplicate success, ramping up in a new market and going from zero to $1.8 million in GCI and $1 million in net profit in only four and a half years, running his team with two codependent divisions, why each buyer agent has their own showing assistant and how it works, team dynamics, compensation, profit margins, and more. First, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three-part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Chris. Hey, thanks, Mike. I appreciate uh, I appreciate you having me on. Hey, Chris, it's great to have you. Chris, before we get into what you're doing today, let's go back for a minute and talk about what you did before you got into real estate. So not a whole lot, to be honest. I, uh, I was actually a pre-law major with a minor in marketing. Uh, my first real job was actually interning with some uh, attorneys out in New York. So started in New York. I had an internship with some real estate attorneys. Uh, that was, to be honest, my last choice on the list of internships. I, I actually wanted to get into intellectual property, not real property. So uh, it's funny how we end up in things. But, um, but wound up interning with some real estate attorneys and then worked for a, a title company actually in New York that was doing co-op insurance and, and focused mostly on the co-op and condo industry. And then eventually uh, just met a lot of real estate uh, brokers along the way. Um, we were, New York is an attorney state, so uh, at, the, at the closing, it's a lot different than out where I, where I am here in Portland, but everybody that was a party of the transaction showed up at closing. And, and I just connected really well with the real estate agents and not so well with the attorney side of things. So I just uh, went down a different path, wound up getting my, my real estate license uh, initially out in New York. So I was 21, actually, when I got my real estate license. So I've uh, been, been doing that ever since. How long did you practice in New York? 
I was out in New York for, I believe it was just under two years, so about a year and a half at 18, 19, 20 months, something like that, before I moved out to the West Coast. And you moved out to Oregon? I did. And it's interesting. I, I initially moved out to Eugene, Oregon. So I moved, started real estate, obviously practicing in, in Westchester County in New York, um, moved cross country to Eugene, lived in Eugene for about five and a half, six years, sold real estate there, which point I picked up and, and started all over again uh, in Portland. Um, and that was about seven years ago or so. Why were you making all those transitions, uh, moving across country and then and moving from one part of Oregon to another after you established a business? Uh, that, is a, that is a great question. Um, and I don't have a great answer, unfortunately, for you. You know, being born and raised in New York, I was ready for a change. Um, I was actually uh, selling New York or selling real estate in New York uh, when 9-11 happened. So uh, right before that happened, I had come out to... Uh, Oregon and, and visited and thought, man, this is it's just beautiful out here. I'm, uh, I'm ready for a life change and, and had, had planned to move. So I moved uh, that, uh, what was that, 2001? I moved um, in November of that year to Eugene. And Eugene was a great, great town, great city, uh, built a business in Eugene, eventually got married. And uh, I'm from New York. My wife's from Mexico City. So Eugene was a relatively small a uh, small town for us to be in, and so eventually we knew that we'd uh, end up moving to Portland, and, and sure enough, about a year after I got married, we decided to make the move to Portland. So I, I think it's interesting, and it's an interesting part of my story, because it's been three right, three distinct starts to, to running a business, and, and typically in real estate, people tend to shy away from making a move or scared to move and start all over after establishing a solid business, which, which I've made a habit of it. But now, you know, it's, it's interesting and we'll talk probably a little bit later about growth and expansion plans. But now as I look back, uh, you know, the one thing I've learned in, and I, that I do different is as I moved, I would have, I would have left a real estate team practicing. In fact, we're, we're going back into Eugene now as we speak. So um, it, it was great. It, it, those moves really helped train me or help me focus on what was the most important thing in a real estate business. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change the moves for anything. And it's been five, six, seven years, so you're ready for another move. Yeah, yeah, don't tell anyone that. No, <laughs> I, I, lo- I love Portland, and I have kids now, and we're established here, and, and this will be home base. So real, real excited to have landed in Portland. It's a great city. Did you have a fast or a slow start in real estate? And as you mentioned, you've been in three different markets. So why don't we uh, take just a quick, quick overview of each one? Did you have a, a fast start in New York? You know, I think each of the each of the times I started was a pretty quick start, and and that I think just came from being committed to 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 be honest, working hard initially. And my mindset has shifted a little bit, but um, in New York, when I first started my my first year, I was a Colder Banker agent. I was rookie of the year of of that office, which didn't mean a whole lot other than maybe I was the only new agent that they had hired that year. (laughs) Um, so, uh, or something like that. But, uh, but actually, you know, I launched pretty quickly, um, being, especially being that young. And then when I moved to Eugene, I was there for about five years. And, uh, by the time I was there or leaving, I was able to, to get into the top 10 in, in the city of Eugene. So it was pretty, it was a pretty quick start. I, I would say that, 
from the outside, it, it, it looked quick. From the inside and, and doing it felt like a really, really slow start in real estate. And, and, and I don't really believe that I was truly practicing real estate or running a real estate business until probably the last three or four years of, of my real estate career, which would, which would mean, you know, for, in reality, it was a fairly slow start to learn how to, how to run a real estate business because, right, this is heading into year 12 or so. There was a couple of years off in between um, in those, in the last, you know, 13, 14 years. But uh, when I look at really being in real estate sales, probably 10, 10 11 years, um, it took probably six or six or seven to really, to really understand how the business worked well. So you were hustling yourself to the top. Yes, it was, it was time on task. It was work. Last year was your best year. How many homes did you sell last year? We closed 220 houses, 220 homes. What was your sales volume? Do you recall? We did uh, just about $73 million in, in volume. Would you mind disclosing to us what your, uh, your GCI was? Um, it was just over $1.8 in GCI. Would you mind telling us what your net was out of that? So I follow a, a pretty pretty strict guideline in terms of business plan and business model. And my goal really in, in the last four years was to, to build a, a real estate business that I could net a million dollars or more. So uh, I accomplished that. Uh, I accomplished that last year. We net a little over a million. Oh, that is amazing. Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, it's, it's been an interesting run, but it's been good. It's been really good. Could you describe to us where Portland, Oregon is? Yep. So Portland is the largest city in uh, the state of Oregon, in the northwest, uh, the great Pacific Northwest in the country. So it, uh, Portland sits right uh, on really almost the coast as the, as the river comes in off of the coast at the northern, the northwest tip of, of the state of Oregon. So we're right, we're right on the border of the Oregon-Washington line. Portland itself, how big is Portland? What's the population in Portland? Uh, Portland population w- within the city, so Portland proper, is about 600,000, 700,000 people. Portland Metro, which is, encompasses really three different counties, almost four different counties, is about just over 2 million in, in population. And, and really, we could and do cover parts of, of tri- three counties, almost four. Please describe your current market. Our market is a, a fairly healthy one as the country goes. Our average price point in the city is about 280 right now, I believe 290. Our average sales price for our team, um, a little bit higher. Last year, I think it was 330. This year, we're closer to 370 year to date. Average days on market right now for the city, just over uh, 50. So we, we hover between 50 and 60 days on market. And that obviously, you know, that's as of right now, the summer, it was, it was closer to about 30 days on market. So it was a, it's a really, really quick moving market, especially anything decent, any decent product. We have a range of homes. Uh, really, we have an entry level, middle level, luxury market. We do have luxury, you know, from other, other people sitting in, in larger metropolitan markets. Luxury in Portland is anything really 800000 and up uh, based on uh, median income. So uh, we do, uh, my team does quite a bit in that luxury market that has been a focus of ours. So that, that luxury market isn't as large uh, of a pool of sellers or buyers than, than other, right, coming from New York, but it's there. 
And uh, price trend, it continues to go up. Uh, this year, we're up about 8%. Last year, we gained about 13%. We'll probably end this year right about 7.5%, 8% up. Um, we're just sort of stabilizing the last two, three months. Chris, do you have a, a niche or a specialization in your market? You know, we we do. It's it's interesting because coming from a – and that's really a product of, of – who I am and, and how I've had to start over multiple or chose to start over multiple times. I really began my business here in Portland by sitting open houses, really. So that is that is a niche. Um, I do a lot of pu- public speaking and, and, and courses on on open houses. That's sort of I, I sometimes feel like that actor that uh, does a comedy and can never get a serious role. So open houses is, I guess, my my uh, my leading role. So definitely a niche in open houses which then sort of springboarded and, and sort of rolled into opening up uh, a kiosk uh, in the local mall. So we have a mall kiosk that has actually been really profitable for us and a great way to not only uh, get immediate buyers and immediate sellers, but, but also work for uh, branding and marketing, which we'll talk about, I'm sure. As a product type, we have really focused on, on close in housing and the condo market. And that was a niche of mine and, and built our, stra- our really open house strategies and our mar- marketing strategies around, around those condos. And by so doing, you know, the, the average time in a condo is, is not many years. So strategically, that's worked well because people move in and out of condos or move back to homes or into condos from home. So that was a great, a great launching pad for us. And obviously, repeat and referral. You know, now it's it's really the fifth year or so that uh, that we've been actively selling in the city. So we're really beginning to build that repeat and referral business. And for the first time, actually, first time in my career, the highest percentage of any lead source last year was that repeat and referral. But that was just a really a byproduct of of choosing lead generation strategies that that put us into production, closed deals and, and then really followed through with uh, creating a good experience and relationship with that with that group. Chris, you mentioned, I think you said close in housing. What is close in housing? Portland is an interesting city and, and we have an urban growth boundary uh, and the city really tries to protect keeping keeping communities and housing and development and new construction uh, close in to the city center. So whereas a lot of other metro areas, you get sort of this sprawl out into the suburbs, Portland is, is very sort of uh, centrally located. And so our close-in neighborhoods really stem from in and out of, of city center. So by close-in, it really it's location-based within the city core. You mentioned the condo market. Are you working the condo market inside of that that city center or that urban core, or are you working the condos all over? It started by working the working the condos in in the city center or the core, really towers. So uh, I worked uh, with some developers on on launching some towers and selling through some towers uh, through the good the good market and the bad. Um, and because of that, just that history and 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 clientele base, then we did branch out and, and worked on some suburban or out-of-town attached products, townhomes, and condominium products. So 
it's sort of, uh, you know, if, if done properly, business should be build business, right? So it really started on the, in the core. And that was, if you say, well, where was your focus or what did you do? I focused on the city core because that's what, that's what I, that's where I wanted to be, right? Being the New Yorker, I wanted to be in the city. And so I focused on just educating myself initially on the, the core market and, and who were the players and, and what product was there and what's the history of these buildings. And, and that's how I really sort of rolled into uh, really launching my, my real estate career here in Portland. The buildings that you were working in the condo market, were they already existing? You mentioned something about builders. Were you representing the builder or were you working with them bringing buyers in? Uh, how did that relationship work? Both. What was interesting, though, is I came here with very few relationships. Um, I had never, I'd never lived in Portland, right? And so initially, I was, I basically took a role uh, sitting a, a tower that was someone else's listing, working with someone else's builder client, um, but just really working the new construction market, which in effect was pretty much an open house every day, right? So I, I worked, I sat there for six days a week really refining my sales skills and critical path of sales skills. And, and at the end of the day, um, what sort of that, what, what that turned into was another builder in town who had shopped or was shopping his competition. One of his agents or representatives walked through one of right, one of my projects. And then he reached out to me to come and relaunch uh, one of his personal projects. So it was, you know, oftentimes in this business, uh, we just don't know who's who's walking into that open house or who's on the other side of the door or who you were about to show a house to. And in my world, we're always we're always on a job interview, and so that uh, that played out really really well. And so I went from really uh, an open house strategy of building a a clientele base, a a customer base, and a knowledge base. Really had a work to learn phase when I first moved to Portland, right? Because I sat every day studying product and then connecting with people that walked into walked into a, a tower or a or a public open house, and then really built a, a database around that. Well, Chris, I want to talk about that topic that you're known so well for. Let's talk about open houses. You are uh, known as an expert in that area, and I think people would like to hear some of your insight there. Let's go ahead and jump right in. Let's first talk about somebody doing an open house. Let's talk about results. In fact, let's talk about your best open house. Could you describe, say, how many people came through and the number of leads, clients, and closings that came out of that? Sure. We have done hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of open houses, to, to be quite honest. So, you know, as I look at which one was the most effective and which one was the best, there's not one that jumps out that said, well, we had the most people at, at Open House X. But what I'll tell you is the best open houses we've done have been more an event than an open house. Uh, and, and what I mean by that is, you know, they're open houses that are planned two weeks in advance. They're open houses that the public is invited to, the neighbors are personally invited to, uh, whether that be through both phone calls and, and postcards and mailing and, and door knocking. But, uh, you know, we, it, it is fairly common if we're looking for an event open house to, to get 30, 40, we've had 50 people through an open house in a, in a sh- fairly short time. We don't do open houses longer than two hours. So in, as, as opposed to a three or four hour open house, it, it means there's a steady stream of people coming through that door. And when we know that or plan that, we have as many, you know, oftentimes we'll have two people at that open house. Um, we've had as many as four people, depending on the size of the home and how many people we expect to show up. It sounds like on the upper end, you're seeing 30, 40, 50 people come through and open. 
if you were to look at all these open houses you've done, you've done hundreds of them, and you were to try to average it out, what would an average open house look like for you? I would say our target, I mean, quite honestly, our target for just a regular open house is if we can get seven to ten people through, we are, we are very happy. And quite honestly, if we, get, if we get contact information for five people, we're still happy about that open house. We, we come from a place of the mindset of we're going to put ourselves in the path of a future buyer and a future seller or an immediate buyer or immediate seller. Our business, my entire business is built around those four contact types. So looking at that, for us, if we get one future buyer, one future seller, one immediate buyer, one immediate seller at an open house, that is a win, especially when looking at all the other strategies that agents sort of look at or try or go to. It's consistently our mindset is, did we add someone to our database? Do we add someone to our database? And so those are the numbers we sort of target and, and, and hit. Uh, do, we, do we have open houses where two people show up or three people show up? Sure, we do. And, and I think that the one thing I can say is, is we believe in consistency and commitment. And so if you consistently execute an open house strategy, everybody's going to have the open house where you think, man, you know, no one showed up. And there's ways, to, there's ways to be productive and effective even during that open house that we can talk about later. But, but looking, looking at that mindset is if you're consistent and you're committed to, to doing it at a high level, you can actually operate an entire business with doing nothing but open houses. And, and that's the, as you say, well, what is your niche? Our growth strategy has been to develop a new niche every year or every time we get a, a lead generation strategy or source to get us to you know, about 20 million in volume, then we look to add the next one. Then we look to add the next one. And a coach of mine said, any lead generation strategy could be, if executed properly at a high level, could be a $20 million business model. And so every time I look at, well, are we going to add another lead generation strategy? My question is, could this strategy be a $20 million business model for us? I'm just doing the math. Does that mean that you have four pillars to the business then? Have you created four $20 million business models inside of your overall business? Yes. And actually this year, right, our goal this year was to, and and are we on target to hit that goal? No. But our goal this year was to go from, right, that 73 to see if we could get into almost $100 So this year we're working through that, that next strategy, which would mean we really have five pillars or five ways to get 20 million. And there's going to be other strategies that filter in, right? And that's, that, that's, that's just real estate in general. But the ones that we spend money on or the ones that we focus on, our goal is to make sure that we're developing it or perfecting it well enough to get us to a $20 million business. Well, that's great. And you're currently, just to, to go back or to recap real fast, what are the four or five pillars you have in your business right now? So open houses is one. And open houses, we, we combine our open house strategy with our mall kiosk. We believe that that mall kiosk is an open house, right? It's just a perpetual open house seven days a week um, that we have staffed. And, and we can talk a little bit more about that if you'd like. Um, so we have open houses uh, as one strategy. Past client is a strategy we added two years ago, right, strategically connecting with these past clients, and that turned into a, a $20 million business for us very, very quickly. That's really what took us from $40 million to, to, you know, that $42 million to that $72 million mark. Investors, 
that investor strategy. We have a strategy to connect with investors. That was our third. And then what we group as real marketing. So we do a, a bit of radio and internet. And those two, that's our marketing strategy. So open houses is one, repeat referral business is two, our investors was third, and our marketing strategy, which, which centered around internet and radio, was our fourth. Well, Chris, thanks for going with me on that roundabout. I want to come back to open houses. You mentioned in a typical open house that you'll have seven to 10 people through. When you say seven to 10 people, do you mean individual people or do you mean groups of people through? I mean, those are seven to 10 people that we could connect with and could be a potential customer. So it could be a single person, it could be a couple, it could be a family. But we look at if they're getting entered into the database as a potential client, how many walk through the door, and and 7 to 10 is typically normal. Let's talk about promotion and promoting your open houses. Sounds like you have two levels. You do what's a a normal or a typical open house, and then you had something that was a, a bigger promotion. Could you give us kind of the outline of how you would promote your open houses? We have a system and a strategy, and it starts a week in advance. We have gone out and done an open house after three days of prep as, as opposed to the seven. But if, it, if we're following our system and we expect the same results, we have a, a very strategic path. So we pick the open house a week in advance. On the first day, that's when we meet and say, okay, this home is going to be open uh, seven days from now. And, and we, don't, we don't just do weekend open houses. We'll do midweek open houses and we'll do evening open houses. So regardless, seven days uh, you know, ahead of schedule. Assuming, let's for argument's sake, say the open house is going to be on, on Sunday. Well, then it's selected on Monday. On Tuesday, that open house already starts getting posted online. So we advertise that open house the second day. We obtain a call list from our uh, title partner. So we'll get uh, the closest 100 neighbors, as many phone calls as we can get. And then on that second day, a quick uh, mailed invite goes out to that open house. So we we haven't made any calls. We just get our list and we, we mail invites out. That's Tuesday. On Wednesday, we'd post it online again. So it's going to get posted online every day leading up to the open. We would begin calling through that call list, right, calling through the neighbors. And then a sign goes up in the yard saying that it's going to be open that Sunday or that Saturday or that Thursday, whatever it is. So that third day is when that sign goes up after we select the open house. On Thursday or the fourth day, we post it online again. We continue to call through those neighbors. We actually send an invitation out to the database, specifically uh, database people that are, that are within that area so we, we, can, we can pull which, which locations people are looking for homes in. We will actually go through all of our old sign calls on that particular listing and any contact that we've received through the intranet on that one listing and invite them to the open house. We've often found that some of our traffic isn't new traffic, but it was a sign call or an intranet lead that uh, just didn't want to set up an appointment but that feel much more comfortable showing up to an open house if they knew it was there. On Friday... We post it online. We set up a, an electronic file where everything is going to get put for that open house. So our market staff get, get, get prepared. Those are the, the closest active pending souls, right, in the last 60 days. We get our flyer. Uh, we don't use print, so we just do a digital flyer, and we get that in the in the digital folder for the address for that open. And then just uh, statistics, what we call our total market overview for that neighborhood, which will just give them a rundown of every price range in the neighborhood, how fast is the market moving, just some real, real statistics. So we now have a digital folder 
created and prepared for the agent that's going to be going out and, and hosting that open house. On Saturday, again, we post it online. Uh, we get directionals installed. We typically door knock that day or right before the open, depending on the schedule of the agent. And then we'll invite to steer um, and post it on social media the day before the open house. And then we have the day of the open house, uh, which uh, we basically do everything again that we just did on Saturday, posting it online, uh, continue door knocking. If you didn't do it the day before, invite your sphere and post on social media again. Wow. Wow. You know it. You cruised right through it. And uh, (laughs) I was trying to keep up. Thank you for laying that all out there. I have a, a few questions as you were working through that. First of all, you said you post on the internet. Where are you posting? I'm a Keller Williams agent. We post in our the back end of our, our system, and that actually gets syndicated out to most, most every other site. Um, but we are posting on... I believe three or four other portal sites. Um, one of them's Craigslist. We post on Kijiji. I think we post on there's uh, classifiedads.com. So there's four different, uh, three or four different sites. Our administrative team does that, and they're always looking for new strategic ways to get that out there. But the reality, and making sure in the back, you're right, RMLS, RMLS for us is that public site is a really, really common site. Oftentimes, we don't, we don't put it in there. We don't think to put it in there until right Friday or Saturday because that's the day we decide to do our open house. But what we found is by putting it in the public remarks as well as in the open house section um, a week in advance, we will actually get more calls off of it um, specifically around that open house that they're seeing in the public remarks. So that's been a, a good strategy. I mean, it, it, does it take planning? Yep. Does it take preparation? Yep. Does it take commitment? Sure, because on Monday, we've already committed to Sunday. So so for us, and I know the typical real estate agent, well, it looks like I might have Saturday afternoon open. Yeah, maybe I'll do an open house. And and that's why agents feel that open houses aren't successful because it's not purposeful and and it's it's secondary and and actually the mindset that we go into the open house is well it's it's really I just had some open time so if I get a lead great if not I wasn't doing anything anyway today so it changes a lot when so much effort right from an administrative team as well as a licensed agent goes into an open house they are there to build a database their their mindset is I'm taking time it's purposeful and I'm coming back to the office with people to put in the database. Uh, you mentioned that a few times. Your, your goal at the open house is to build the database. And I believe you mentioned there are four categories that you're building up. What were those again? Uh, we have an immediate buyer and an immediate seller. So these are people that we feel that, hey, in the next 30 to 60 days, they could be buying a home or listing their home. And then we have a future buyer and a future seller. Those are people that are just starting their search. They might be every, every neighbor that we meet. Our goal is to get them into our database as a future seller because if they own a home one day, they probably will sell. And I don't, I don't really care if it's a year from now, three years from now, 10 years from now, I plan on being in business. And so they go in as a future buyer or future seller. You mentioned on day two that you're getting a list, a call list. I think you said you got it from your title company. Yep. How many people are you getting on that list? And, and I assume that's just the people right around the home that you're going to hold open. How many people? Correct. So typically, if, if we're pulling uh, an area of 100 to 150 homes around that home, we're going to get a, a phone list of about maybe 30 people. You know, anywhere between 25 and 30 people. And some of those numbers are great. Some of them aren't. That's okay. 
it's the our goal is to be able to touch or connect with those neighbors uh, multiple times in that in that path, right? So we know that the phone might be one of them. We right, we know that the postcard they're going to get is going to be one of them. We hope that the sign is going to be one of them. We hope that they actually come to the house, and that's another touch. So right there, those that's four touches, and and to create a client or to create mindshare for the neighborhood, uh, in in the MREA book, the Millionaire Real Estate Agent book, which is really where I base my business, what I base my business off of. There's a strategy that says, okay, if you can connect with someone eight times in the in in eight weeks, then you're going to create mindshare. There's tons of studies that that prove that to be true. So my goal is, as I go into an open house, is is there a way for me to connect or 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 get in front of this potential person eight times in eight weeks, or or really to be honest, our strategy is eight eight times in in four weeks. Um, so we look for different ways to get in front of the same number of people. Sure enough, we might door knock them too, right? So whether we leave something on the door or, or we meet them face-to-face, and we don't meet a ton of people. But again, if for the person that we do meet, you have to believe that they got our postcard, they see our sign, they met us in person, maybe they show up to the open. Right? In, in a matter of a weekend or a matter of a week, um, we could we could potentially touch them five times and, and that's true mindshare. And that's really, that's the mindset that that's why open houses to me is a, is a no brainer to build a business, whether you're just starting out or you've been in business for 20 years. If you committed to a strategic open house plan, uh, you're going to build, your business is going to get bigger. You're building a, a little mini database to target for this open house You've just talked about making the phone calls, 100 to 150 people in the neighborhood. You might have 30 good phone numbers. Are you also doing the same number of people for, say, your postcards? Are you sending out postcards to that same 100, 150? And are you also doing door knocking to that same 100, 150? Yeah, so the postcards go out to the same group. Um, so again, some of them we may have called, some of them we may not have if we didn't get their number. The door knocking, we don't door knock that many people. You know, we started and, and the goal was to, well, I want, you know, we want to door knock 50 homes. I get in real life, oftentimes that doesn't happen. And, and what really began happening with us, because it was such an insurmountable number, the agents and myself included just stopped altogether, right? If we're not going to get to 50, we're not going to do it. So right now on our team, we, we have a, we have a, a strategy that says if, if you're going to be on a street, door knock up and down at least a minimum of that one street in front of that house. So on average, we may door knock 12 to 15 doors. And yet, I think when in anything, when we chunk things down and we, we give ourselves a number that is 100% attainable, uh, then we do it. Uh, one of the one of the questions my coach often asks me is, "Are you sure?" Right? When I say I'm going to do something, are you sure you're going to do that? Well, maybe not. Okay. Well, what can you do? Okay. So, right, I'll go. I'll I'll door knock a hundred doors. Are you sure? Well, maybe it's fifty. Are you sure? I definitely can do twenty. So, I, I do think in our business, uh, right? We all, many of us think really, really big, and sometimes that we get ourselves into overwhelm, and then we just don't do anything. So, it, we we did chunk that down. Um, so we door knock less, yet we're more consistent with it, which is really what we're trying to accomplish. 
You mentioned eight contacts in eight weeks for the, this group of people. Are you doing your open houses in the same neighborhoods every time, kind of like a geographic farm? Or are you doing this all throughout the city, some here and some there, and kind of moving around? Good question. So it started very geographical. So when I when I first came to Portland, I picked neighborhoods that I wanted to wanted to build in. I wanted to, in terms of build a business in, I wanted to... It was it, again. They were close in neighborhoods. I, I liked the neighborhoods. I wanted to work in them, and so I, I strategically chose my open houses there. As my business grew, and as we built a, a listing inventory, obviously our listings uh, went outside of those neighborhoods just by by nature of adding in marketing and and referral based business. So we we will do open houses outside of our our target neighborhoods. Um, but to begin with, the first couple years that we were launching our business, it was really really focused on a geographic graphic area where we could create some mind share around our brand. Um, and, and that was really important for us. And I think it was a big, a big piece of our success early on to build that database of people that, that really knew us and connected with us multiple times. It's interesting. We'd have, we'd have people that would come up, you know, we'd, we'd see them at the second, third, fourth open house. And, and at that point, you have to believe that when they're ready to hire an agent, it's, it's going to be us. And oftentimes it was. So it was strategic. What I will say on that, and I think it's an important, uh, important piece, when, when I first started, we didn't just do Saturday and Sunday opens. I, I, don't, I didn't have listings, right? I was new to the, the, the city as well. So I looked for agents in my office that had listings in specific neighborhoods that I wanted to work. I looked at what traffic patterns there were. Um, I looked at commuting times. I looked at if there was a school nearby when, when parents were dropping off and picking up. And then I would strategically pick and choose homes to hold open at random times where I thought traffic count was going to be higher because whether they came in that open house or not, they were going to see my signs in the neighborhood. And, and oftentimes it did increase my traffic too, which, which put me face to face with them. So I would do lunchtime opens um, around our right, artillery streets that, that led to office parks or where there were a lot of people working or where people would be driving past to go to lunch. I would do commute time open houses. So four to six is a phenomenal time for open houses in neighborhoods as people are driving back home. And, you know, you might think, well, who wants to stop into an open house? If they do, you know they're probably pretty serious, either as a future seller because you're really looking for neighborhood people um, or, right, they are thinking about buying and they're going to stop on their way to work to see that open. And if nothing else, they, they obviously saw my sign and my brand. Same thing with school drop-offs and pickup. I would do sort of uh, mid-afternoon parents were picking up kids at, you know, 1.30, 2.30. So we would do one to one to three open houses as well uh, in specific locations. And I, I think as agents, we forget or we think open houses are for weekends. And I would have the public say, you're doing an open house right now? And, and my response would be, you know, my goal is to, to work hard for my client, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm here trying to sell this house for my client. So when you, when you come from the mindset of, I can either sit in my office, right? And, and some people are great at cold calling. That honestly wasn't me. I can sit in my office and cold call and try to get in front of voice to voice, a potential buyer or potential seller, or I could get into the path of a buyer or seller. And, and that's really what, where that idea of, well, I, why not do open houses four days, five days, six days a week? I mean, if I wasn't a real estate agent and I, and I had, I had taken a corporate job, right? Even in the in the uh, in the legal field, I'd be going to work. I'd be showing up to my office from 
eight to six or nine to five or whatever it is, yet as a real estate agent, we just don't commit to a schedule. Well, am I going to sit in my office making calls from nine to five every day? No, but I guarantee you, if you had a, if you had two or three open houses a day, five days a week, you'd be one of the top agents in this country. And, and we just don't commit to the schedule that it takes to do it. So that really, honestly, I, I wanted to get into immediate production. I don't like doing anything too slow. It's just my personality. And so that was a way for me to immediately break into the Portland market really quickly. I'm still looking at the schedule you laid out for us and the, the different number of days. You said you put a sign up in the yard. What, what does that sign look like? What's on it? It is just a, uh, it's just a square that sits on a, a, a wire frame. We go out, we drive in, we, we stick it in the grass, and it's, it's next to our sign the actual yard sign, and all it says is open Sunday or open Saturday, open Thursday, and there's uh, hours on it from one to three. And what we found is we actually wound up, you know, people will drive by that sign multiple times, perhaps leaving the neighborhood or coming into the neighborhood, and we had neighbors notice it. So we wound up getting more neighbors showing up to our open house, which, to be honest, is uh, you know, our strategy is really geared towards connecting with future sellers in that neighborhood, even more so than buyers. We believe that if we if we control the market and have listings, then the buyers are going to come. So really, that, that open Saturday, open Sunday, open Friday, open Tuesday sign uh, really generated more potential seller traffic than even buyer traffic. You put that right next to the for sale sign. Do you also put a, a rider up on top or, or is this kind of in lieu of the old rider that you put up on top for the open? It's in lieu of the rider. Now, once in a while, um, depending on our sign inventory, sometimes we will end up with a rider. But what we found was with the sign that sits in the yard, we were able to, instead of just saying, you know, those riders typically say open Sunday or, or give the day, um, we have signs that, that we can change out the times and, and we weren't stuck from one to three on Sunday. Because we really will look at what's going on in the neighborhood. Are there any, right, is there a football game? Is there a, is something? going to drive traffic or inhibit traffic, and then we'll work around the schedule. So we wanted something a little bit more organic that we could change out fairly, uh, you know, freely, which, which the signs that we put in the yards allow us to do that. Do these signs, can you write on them with, say, a grease marker, or are they professionally printed the day and the time? They're printed, and then they have, um, basically, they have two uh, plastic sleeves where you actually, we just have the number, right, printed numbers, and we, we pull out the two numbers, and we put in two new ones each time we make a change in time. What color is that sign? Is there a certain color that stands out better? I don't know. I mean, ours are pretty, uh, and ours, actually, those are not branded. Um, they are just an unbranded red and white sign uh, with black letter. So the sign is red and white, and the open Sunday, and the times are in black. How big is that sign? It's about the same, maybe a little bit smaller than a typical real estate sign. So it may not be great with... Uh, feet and inches, but think a real estate sign that's just slightly smaller and they sit on a, it sits on a, a wire frame. On day four, you mentioned that you go out, you invite your database in an area, and you also mentioned old sign calls and internet leads. Is that the same thing? Is that the same group or a different group? We have a couple back-end platforms that generate buyer leads or we can, we can see where buyers are shopping. Um, so our 
our platforms allow us to look in specific areas and, or see where people are searching. So we'll actually pull up an open when we know we have an open that day. Our team goes in, goes into the back end of our system and says, okay, which buyers are shopping or have been looking at houses in that neighborhood? And they get an email, an invitation to that open house. And it may not even fit their criteria, but we just, one, it makes us look like we're active in the market. Two, it's a great touch um, that isn't asking them, right, Do you, are you ready to buy? So that's basically the buyer, perhaps a buyer database. Our personal, our personal contact or sphere database, uh, depending on location, will invite those people too. So if we've listed or sold someone or a family or a client uh, a home in the neighborhood, they'll get invited to our opens too because we'd love to see past clients step in, which happens a lot, and that's a good face-to-face contact. And that's a little bit more organic. What software are you using? You mentioned platform. You also mentioned database. Is that the the same thing? And what software are you using? We have a couple different setups. So we we use Top Producer. So our Top Producer is we can tag and, and flag people by area, location, uh, who they are. Um, the buyer the buyer platform that we use. One of them is actually the back end of our website which is just a custom website that, that we can actually see what houses people are searching on or what, what areas or neighborhoods they have saved. And then uh, we have a, a Keller Williams um, eEdge site is what it's called, and it's basically a lead generation platform where we can uh, generate leads and, and, again, track buyer activity fairly, fairly well. So between those two, we'll go in and, and connect with where people are. Chris, you mentioned on day five, you have this electronic file, a digital folder. Is that something like Dropbox? Yep, it is. So we've used Dropbox and we've also used ShareFile, which is a, a little bit more robust and it, it actually allowed us a lot more, one, safety and storage. And so right now we're using a, a, a platform called ShareFile. There's an app on everybody. Every Everyone that does open houses on the team have uh, iPads. And so basically we set up a digital folder with the address and under that address, that agent knows going out that they're going to have a digital flyer, they're going to have statistics for the, for the area, and they're going to have comps for that house. Um, so it really takes a lot of pressure off of us individually. It also eliminated print, so it saves some money. Uh, again, I, I think from a business perspective. And it also, more importantly, the strategy was uh, let's, let's get some items of value that we have at that open house that people can't just take and walk away with, but rather they may want and we get to email it to them. So if we have to email it to them, they have to give us their email, which allowed us to increase the number of people that we're, we're registering or, or at least getting contact information for. On day six, you mentioned contacting your sphere of influence, and I think you also said social media. Where are you posting the event? Social media, we want we actually want everybody on the team to support each other's open houses. So we're all posting each other's open houses through our social media, whether that be Facebook. Uh, for me, it's uh, what's so funny is, uh, you know, my, with my age, people think I'm going to be super techie and I'm not, I really use it. If it gets stuff done, every, everything else people handle for me, but um, uh, I'll post the open houses on social media. And then we have uh, team Instagram um, that we have some past clients that follow us and, and on there, they're just getting pictures of cool houses that come on the market or perhaps new listings, but we'll post our, our, uh, our opens on our social media so that all of our past clients, because we've, we've connected with past clients on social media strategically, that they can see that we're holding something open, perhaps in their, perhaps in their neighborhood, perhaps not, but we post it there. Well, Chris, you start to bring up the reason that you have this 
digital information, and it sounds like it's tying into my next question, which is, how are you capturing that contact information to put into your database? It's a strategy. If we go into the open house without the mindset that the only way we win here is if we build a database, if we're not thinking like that, it's easy to have people walk in and walk out, walk in and walk out, walk in and walk out. We hope they take our card, and we hope they love the house, or maybe they'll call us, or, or maybe we connected really well. And at the end of the day, if they're shopping open houses, they're probably on their way to the next one. And so uh, I, always, I always believe that, one, we need to show up as the most educated agent they're going to meet today. And two, we have to do a better job of getting their contact information than any other agent. And typically, I come from the frame of mind that if I'm going to ask you for something, I'm also going to give you something. So that's why we have, we believe we have three things that could be an item of value. And the first one is a flyer of the house, right? The digital flyer for the house. So that's in our Dropbox. And, and if they wish to, if they want information on the house, we can email it to them and they could get it on their smartphone right there, right? I mean, and, and everyone, whether they want to email directly or they want to link to our website with the house, and we can do either one of those. So we use digital flyers. The next thing is we do believe that the economics of real estate is what people care about. And, and that is sort of something that I've, I've made a commitment uh, to my team is just staying on top of the economics, knowing the market, being able to provide some real value to someone that right, wants to think logically and understand what's going on. So we have a, a total market overview that a third-party company does, and it's actually, right, they're called TMOs, total market overview. And you can get them in, in a lot of different market areas now. It's a company out of Spokane uh, that puts those together. So we, uh, we subscribe and we get a weekly TMO that basically compiles all of our MLS data into a very, very easy you know, area by area chart. And, and we have one for every area. We have one for the entire city and then area by area. And that has been a tremendous tool for us to at least have some statistics on that neighborhood that they're in. And we ask them if, if that would be a value to them. If they're, if they're shopping for a home, typically they want to see what's going on in the neighborhood. And more importantly, if they're a seller, they want to know what's going on in the neighborhood. So we have that as an item of value and we'll share it with them and show it to them on the iPad and then ask them if they want a copy. And then the third thing is obviously comps, the actual comps of the, of the listings. And there are other active listings in the neighborhood. So if they're out shopping for a home and, and we say, would you like a list of all the homes that are immediately available so you can drive around and even right, look at the exteriors uh, while you're out looking for homes today, that's another way to, again, get their email address and it, it, it gets emailed right over to them. So uh, those are the main three things that we use. Um, Realtor.org has a great app. I think it's Bright Open, um, and Bright Open is is links to all of your your uh, owned listings. So they're they're if you're at an open house, it's your listing. It'll pull up your RMLS ID uh, in our area anyway, and then um, create just a really really quick flyer of the house that you're in. So it shows the house that you're in, and then if they want to. Uh, a market report on their home. So for instance, if a seller comes in, we'll actually have that app open and they can get immediately mark, uh, an email, um, basically a market snapshot to them. And, and Top Producer has the same thing, a market snapshot, right? Um, but uh, it'll send them just a quick rundown of what's going on in the market. But again, every single one of those is a strategy to get their email address. And once they give you their email address, they sort of open up, right? You can contact them oftentimes the script that I use is, uh, can I, 
and, and right there on my iPad, we have a Google Doc. Um, our team operates off of a lead sheet, and every open house lead then that comes through, it basically looks like a sign-in sheet. Uh, ultimately, it's a lead sheet that a v- our virtual assistant can pull off immediately uh, because it's a live document. But uh, typically, the script that I use is, is there a number that I can reach you in case the email comes that bounces back, right? So in case the email doesn't get, get out to you. And at that point, it's really hard to say no. And some people will, but, but you know, six or seven times out of ten, if you use that script, um, is there a number that I could reach you in case the email comes back unreturned? Um, most times they're going to give me their phone number. Otherwise, it gets a little bit awkward. So that's a strategy that I use to get email first and then hopefully a, a phone number. And oftentimes, I mean, there are many people that are private that, that might say, no, no, I'm good. I'm good. I don't need that. So at that point in time, uh, I'll say, and, and maybe it's almost going backwards, but the first question that I ask every open house guest and the question that every one of our agents uses is, are you out shopping for a home today or do you happen to live in the neighborhood? So someone walks out, walks into the open house. Um, I greet them. Uh, and then I say, are you out shopping for a home today or do you happen to live in the neighborhood? And my goal right there is to figure out, is it a buyer or is it a seller? Is it a buyer or is it a seller? Because it's one, in my world, it's one of those two, two people. And so then I can, I can sort of craft or, or steer my conversation. If it's a seller, I want to know why are they out looking? Is, are they just nosy? Are they thinking about selling? They're, they're going to care more about values in the neighborhood than actual homes or product in the neighborhood. So by asking that really right, very easy, simple, non-pushy question, you'll get a response. Now, my, my next goal, right, the next step would be if, if, they're, if they live in the neighborhood, and, and again, because of what we do, most are sellers, most are neighbors, right? They've seen signs, they've gotten postcards, their door got knocked on, they got a phone call, whatever the case might be. If they live in the neighborhood, um, I will always say, well, that, it's great to meet a neighbor. I'm glad you came in to take a look at the house. What was your name? And, and I know if I can get a last name, then I, then I will actually be able to add a full address and have a future seller in my database. Now, oftentimes they'll be like, well, I'm John. Uh, and, and if they say, I'm John, my next question is, and what was your last name? And, and by getting that last name, very few people are going to be like, well, I don't want to share that, right? Um, but if I have their last name and I know they live in the neighborhood, the next thing I do when my open house is done or my assistant does is pull the name, pull the area, and find out where they live and get their address. Now, I hope during our conversation I'm able to get their email address and phone number too, um, but if, not, if I'm not able to, I at least have now a future seller that can go on a mail campaign and I can, I can connect with and at least write a thank you card uh, immediately because I have their address. And they don't ever have to give me their address. I pull it off the tax records. So really, all of our questions are geared initially to get them down the path of getting some sort of contact information while not making them feel awkward or, or uneasy. Starting at the very beginning when the people walk in, you said you greet them and you ask them the question to decide whether they're going left or right, whether they're a buyer or a seller. Are you shopping for a home today or do you happen to live in the area? Once you've determined whether they're a buyer or seller, do you have a second script that you use to either go with a buyer or go with a seller? Yep. My, my next question or next question, if it's a buyer, so let's say, oh, we're just beginning research. And then I would say, great. Well, how have you been getting into homes? That's my next question. How have you been getting into homes? Because if they're just looking at open houses, that tells me something. If they say, oh, we have an agent, 
that tells me something too. So I don't love that you have an agent because it, it, it comes across like I'm an agent that hopes you don't have an agent and I want you as a client. But if I know how they've been getting into homes, um, then I'll know if they're working with an agent or not. And if they say, well, you know, our agent's been opening it up. Oh, great. Who is that? Uh, so it, it, it keeps the conversation moving forward and you're developing, whether they realize it or not, it, you, you are actually having a conversation and it's people to people as opposed to salesperson to buyer. So that's the conversation um, I have uh, if it's uh, right, if it's, if it's a buyer. And if it's a seller, typically the, the next question I ask is, are you familiar with property values in the area? Do you stay on top of property values? And if they say yes, I say, well, that's great. Most sellers do. And then I say, would it be a value to you? Uh, if you received and whatever I'm going to offer them. And, and that was a script uh, that I got. And I can't remember where, where it came from. But when you ask, would it be a value to you? Uh, again, I am a very scripted person, obviously. And when I say that, when you ask that question, it's pretty difficult for someone to say no. I mean, it, it's a leading yes, right? If you're asking someone, would it be a value to you if, it sort of leads them down the have to say yes, because if it says, if they say no, no, it would be of no value, right? It's no value to know what's going on in my neighborhood. It's just an awkward no. So you want to, you want to give them a very easy yes. And, and so that's why I use that language. So the buyers, you mentioned if they have an agent, the conversation is going to start winding down. If you ask them the question, you know, have you been getting into the houses? And they just say, well, I've been going to open houses. Or they don't indicate in any way they have an agent. What would be the next thing that you say to the buyer? Um, typically, at that point, I say it would be valuable to you if we put together a private tour in one afternoon so you could see all the homes at once instead of waiting for them to come on the market when they're open. What percentage of the people say yes? Uh, you know, at that point, not a lot, to be honest, and, and that's okay because now I've developed enough rapport that I could ask them to send them a list of homes. So if they say, no, we're not quite there yet, the next step would be, uh, right, I have that list of comps in, that, in the iPad. The next step is, well, you know, I can email you straight from my iPad a list of everything that's available right now. So even today, whether it's open or not, you could at least drive by and take a look and get an idea of values and, and, and what homes are selling for in this neighborhood. Would that help? And typically at that point, they're like, yeah, that's right. They've already said no. So typically at that point, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, that, yeah, I guess that's fine. Yeah, that's good. And I would say that probably... 50 to 60% of the buyers that come in, we can capture their contact information. Sellers is higher, and it doesn't mean that we're getting their email or phone, but you know, 80% of potential sellers, we're going to get them into our database, and that's because I'll get their last name, and they've told me that they live in the neighborhood. With a little bit of research. Mm-hmm. You mentioned it earlier, how you were going along and gathering the data. It sounded to me like you're... You're going for that email first, even before you ask for their name. Is that true? You, you somehow collect that email because they want something of value sent to them. And then after that, do you step back and say, oh, by the way, what is your name? No, well, not necessarily. I mean, I would hope in the beginning as I, as I walk in, um, I do introduce myself and, and, and my name. Uh, they, may, they may or may not give me theirs. Um, and oftentimes I will ask. Uh, but it, for some reason, if they don't give it to me, um, then I will, I'll, I'll move forward and, and try to make sure I capture their name. And I'll tell you, right, 
I, there has been countless people that I got their name and then I forgot, and it's very awkward to ask again. So that's <laughs> right. where that is. That is why we started. Right, I have a, a Google Doc open on my iPad, and as soon as I get their name, uh, the minute right they they move to a different area or they look away, or I'm actually typing in their name because I'm not I'm not great with names, and and once I get it, it's it's that is a contact. I better type it out and write it down so I so I don't forget it. Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. That's how you're tracking it. You're tracking it right there in your iPod. As you mentioned, as, as the conversation wanes for some reason, you can immediately type that in. Correct. Yep. And then that is a live document. So instead of now having to take it off of a sheet and put it somewhere else, our virtual assistant or administrative staff can take those names, enter them into our database as an open house lead, and know exactly what uh, what comes next. So if I have an address and it's a seller, I'm going to get a, a note to say, hey, write a thank you note to this person on Monday. Um, so it's, it's specific. So you don't use a registration book. Did you try that in the past and it either worked or didn't work? We have done it in the past. When when we went to digital flyers and everything digital, we just moved it over, and it saved us a step. Um, for those people that might be uncomfortable with an iPad or something like that, I, I registration books work just fine. I, I come from new construction where everybody has to sign, right, do a registration card or a sign-in. Um, so those don't make me uncomfortable at all, and I think they can be just as effective. Uh, it was just a lot easier for me to gain contact information by having an item of value uh, digitally that I can email them. So that's how that sort of developed and came about. And you've had some experience with interacting with the public right there. Have you had any new agents on your team? Is, is it easier for them to get the information when they have something of value to, to send over that iPad? Yep. We saw our our contact ratio or getting that contact information go up considerably when, when we went to uh, a digi- something digitally to, to email them, something of value. In these open houses, you're, you're targeting the neighborhood sellers more than buyers. What, what percentage of the people coming through your open houses are sellers versus buyers? I would say that we're probably 70, 30, uh, really. 70% of the people, if we execute properly, end up being neighbor. And by sellers, right, it's neighbors. So I don't want pe- listeners to think, wow, 70% of these people are, are immediate sellers. They aren't immediate. But, but, but open houses for us was a way, uh, yes, I wanted immediate business, but I wanted to, I wanted to build a business, uh, a long-term future business. And so a lot of them are future sellers. And again, that's going to do us nothing if we don't stay in contact and, and, and cultivate that database and, and, and stay with it. But I would say, you know, 65, 70% are our neighbors and then 30, 35% are, are potential buyers. You mentioned the best days and times to do opens. You said you're doing them all different variations of times. You mentioned you do do them on the weekend. Is there a better time to do it on a Saturday or a Sunday? No, I think that's location specific. Um, We'll do uh, right in the urban core, right downtown. If we're doing a condo, um, I'll, I'll, 
I'm happy to do it in the morning. Our agents will do it in the morning from 10 to 10 to 12 with the idea that people are, you know, leaving their condo, they're walking and getting coffee or, or the paper or whatever, whatever they might be doing in their morning routine. Um, so we will, we'll do it specific to location and, and traffic patterns. So, right, walking pattern is different than car pattern and, and work days are different than non-work days. Um, we have a lot of events that happen within the city in different neighborhoods, whether it be um, street fairs or uh, benefits or a lot of running events in Portland uh, because of the city that we're uh, that we are, and and so we'll we'll work around where we believe a lot of people might be. You mentioned the condos. This is really interesting. So it sounds like you've had success doing open houses inside of condo complexes. We have. Yep. What's different between doing an open house for a condo versus a house? The majority of the contacts that we hope to connect with are already within that building when we're doing a condo. So that does get really focused on mail and uh, phone, if we can, uh, specifically because they're not necessarily, one, a lot of our condos don't allow us to put up signs. So if we're going to be there, then we're either standing outside or we're in the lobby. Um, it allows us to typically be in the lobby of a, of a building in a, in a legal way because we are holding it open and meet with a lot of residents and, and really sellers, right, because they're all coming through the lobby or, or they're going out the lobby. So that's been good for us. Um, and, they, and they get to know you. I mean, each building is its own community. So establishing a, a presence within those buildings have been helpful. Do you have a preference whether the home that you're holding open is vacant or occupied? No, although starting out, it was, I looked for the vacant ones. And that was because I wanted to get it as systematic as possible. And having to coordinate with a seller and meet a seller and we're going to be home at this time and, oh, that day doesn't work. It was easy, easier for me to target vacant homes that I could hold open every day of the week if I wanted to. And, and there were certain homes that in the beginning, I'd be there, right, I'd have it on my schedule for that week at Monday. I'd have it scheduled for Wednesday. I'd have it scheduled for Thursday, 4 to 6. And I knew the house that I was going to be at and I knew the times. And so it was a lot easier to do it multiple times or different days. Do you and your team hold your own listings open, or are you also holding listings open for other agents? At this point in time, because of our listing inventory, we're holding our own uh, opens open. Very rarely, if, we're, if we don't have a listing in a neighborhood that we really, really want to target or we want to get into, um, we will. But it's probably been months, um, literally, since we've held a, an open open for another agent. But other agents do hold ours open even still because we, we, you know, we have product that either we're not going to do an open for um, strategically or we just can't cover. So, but for the most part, we are doing our own. And in the beginning, I assume you were holding other agents' homes open. How did you convince them to let you do that? The goal for that agent is, right, we're, we're co-ops. So whether it's, it's them or another agent selling that listing, they're going to they're gonna be just fine. So um, I, it was always an extension. I was always an extension of them to the seller. Um, and I didn't, I didn't care the language or the, what they told the seller, right? I worked for them during the open and I was going to hold it open. And, and my goal absolutely was, you know, I hope to sell that house. And so um, I, the agents in my office were, were thrilled to death to have their 
you know, their home open, you know, every, whether it's on Saturday, whether it's on Sunday, whether it's multiple times that week, um, and they were able to go back to their client and let them know that that was the value they were bringing their clients. So. You mentioned early on signage that you put signs up the day before the open. How many signs are you putting up? So typically every, every one of our agents has about 10 signs available to them. Now, not every open do we put up 10 signs, but we have a, we have a standard that if, if you're not putting up five, then some, you're, just, you're not going to get the traffic. And, and ideally, we are somewhere between seven and 10 signs. We don't, we don't want to have to have seven to 10 signs because typically that means, oh, are we doing an open house? It's so difficult to get to. But by seven to 10, we're directing people in from a couple different locations. We only want to be probably two to three turns off of the main road. Um, so that means we could potentially have three from one direction, three from another, three from another, and really be directing people in into the neighborhood three different ways. Those signs that you're putting up, are those push-in-the-ground signs? Are they A-frames? They're A-frames. A-frames branded to our team. What is on that sign itself then? So it has the team name on it? Yep. So our signs are pretty simple. Um, they're, they're dark red uh, with white. Uh, all the writing or, or letters are, and the logo is white. So it just says PDX Property Group. It obviously has my company as well, Keller Williams Realty Professionals. And then uh, in big letters, it, has, uh, it just says open with an arrow. Um, so fairly, fairly simple. Our number, I'm sorry, our phone number is on the bottom as well in pretty big letters. PDX Property Group. What does the PDX stand for? PDX is the abbreviation for Portland. It's the Portland Airport. Ah. Yeah. Yep. So it's a look. So, and that's a great question. And, and I'll say, I might even say this now. Uh, I think that as you as you build and grow and and, and open up a business, uh, you know, my mind has grown and, and been expanded bigger in the last probably couple years than it that ever has from a business perspective. So, you know, you, you think through, well, are you going to brand your team um, by your name? And I didn't go down that path because I didn't want to be the one person, right, that people will always look to or want to connect with and talk to. So I, I didn't brand my name. However, I branded a location, which now as the industry shifts and I look at, at expanding into different locations, I've realized that, hmm, PDX, right, Portland doesn't work so well as I go back into Eugene or Salem or Vancouver or, or right, San Francisco. So, you know, it's just one thing that I would say a learning experience of as, as you're truly building a brand. And I recently read the book Positioning, uh, Jack Trout and is it Al Reese? I think it is. Um, and and it's, a, it's a great, I think real estate agents need to tra- transition from being real estate agents and, and selling houses to really being business owners. But uh, I just, it's kind of an aside because, yeah, PDX is a very local and that was a that is the feel of our brand here. It's a very local. I know what's going on. Um, come to us for 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 local stats and information. But as we expand, we really need to. We'll be changing our branding and going into different cities with a with a new brand or new business. I assume that's known around there. I did not know that PDX meant Portland. And you might be able to get away with it as being generic or someone's initials. I, I thought it was going to mean something. It's possible. That's, I've heard that before. <laughs> so very good. Very good. I think I'm, I'm coming down to the last few questions here about open houses. How about cost? If an agent was listening and wants to start doing open houses, what is their initial startup cost? And then what's the cost for each open house? 
It's a really great question, and, and, and our strategy stemmed from a place where I came into a city not knowing anybody and not making any money. Uh, I needed to get into that production fairly quickly, and I needed to do that cheaply. So the startup cost really is your signs right? Signage. Um, and as I started, uh, I didn't mail because I didn't have the money to mail. And notice I don't print. I didn't have money to print. So our, our open houses now are, are, are almost free. The only cost that we have uh, is right now is the 100 postcards that we send, right? So we can, we can basically book or, or budget about $50 per open house. Um, that we do. So it's about $50 to get those posts, the 100 invitations to the neighbors out the week, you know, the week in advance. Um, but we're not printing. We're, we don't have stacks of any, anything in color. Uh, we are pretty, pretty, we run pretty lean uh, when it comes to cost and expense. And that's one of the reasons why I loved open houses as a, even as a startup strategy to a big business is we, we didn't have a big marketing budget. Could you estimate what it would cost to get the signage to get started? Yeah, we printed 10 signs, and I want to say uh, I paid 30 to $35 a sign uh, wood A-frame. And you can get them, uh, you, can, you don't have to get them in wood. I got them in wood because they were more durable and they were going to last uh, much longer, and we can always get them re- refaced and, and re-screen printed as well. But, um, right, so 35 times 10, $350 I probably spent. You mentioned that you have multiple strategies of getting people into the open house. If someone were on a a really strict budget and they could only do one or two, what what would be the most productive way to get someone to your open house? Make sure you have plenty of signs. So I would, and and get them printed as as cheaply as possible, right? So I I would rather say don't spend any money on mail and and buy 15 signs than spending money on mail and and only having five signs. So signage is really, really important because it's going to do two things. One, it's going to get traffic there, but two, it's going to work as advertising and branding. So that's important to me. And door knocking, because as you door knock, it may not... They may not come down the street and come to your open, but they're going to see you working hard for your client and you're going to get face-to-faces with people. So I would, you know, signage and door knocking, signage and door knocking. And, and quite honestly, right there, once you have the signs, um, and even if you have to borrow non-branded signs up front, uh, get them because that will, will increase your traffic. Um, and then the minute, right, your first closing, go out and buy your branded signs with your name and phone number on it. Um, but uh, continue to door knock around that open. For any agent that's out there listening to us who's thinking about doing open houses, any other advice you have for them that, that we haven't covered? You know, I, I recently w- I went to a, a training um, a couple weeks ago, and, and the phrase, hope is not a strategy, uh, came up again and again. And so I think a lot of times you go into open houses hoping that people show up. I hope I get some traffic today. That's not a strategy. So, so if it's going to be a strategy and it's going to be a way to build a business, you need a schedule. You have to, you have to have a plan, whether it's two of the things that we do, whether it's all the things we do. Honestly, if you did half the things we do, you're still going to arguably get half the business, which, which would be clearly okay. And so I would just say that the most important thing is just just stick to a schedule. Schedule, schedule these open houses out. Know what days this month are going to do that open as opposed to, uh, I can't tell you how many times, even, even in my office, I get emails you know, that go back and forth that, hey, anyone have an open house for tomorrow? Well, I, it is almost like 
not that any activity is a waste of time, but it's not a strategy. And so I would say to do it well, um, you have to be strategic. Otherwise, it is very easy to get discouraged when people don't come time after time and you don't realize it's because there's no real, real thought process or commitment that went into the strategy. Well, Chris, I'm going to switch gears here. It's kind of related from what you've mentioned, but I'd like to talk to you about your mall kiosk. First of all, could you just tell us, in case somebody doesn't know, what is a mall kiosk? So what we did was um, we went, and this came from, uh, you know, I, I, we, I travel a bit, and I was actually down in Mexico, and, and uh, in the mall, their, their builders and developers will set up and, and basically rent a kiosk. And oftentimes, right in those mall kiosks, there's a little, there's a little booth outside the stores, right, in the, in the main sort of artillery hallways of the mall. But anyway, there was a developer there, and he was basically had his floor plans out, where his land was, a little model, and sure enough, as my wife was shopping, I sat down with him, met them, looked at it, actually went to the community the next day, and I, I bought a piece of land. And I thought, well, that's an interesting critical path of sale. And so as I played with that, I really thought, and, and actually I, was, I had a conversation, was having a conversation with Gary Keller, and, and Gary was looking at the open house strategy that I did, and, and he said something important to me. He said, well, this is great, but you're going to get to a point where you can't do any more open houses than you're already doing. So then what? How do you take the skill set you've developed and the, and, the, and the system you've developed and just grow it bigger? And so combine that conversation with, with walking and, and seeing this kiosk, and I thought, well, I may not have a subdivision, but I have product every day. So that that was sort of the the launch of this mall kiosk. So we rented some space in the local mall. We spent a lot of time on doing traffic studies and seeing where people walk and who's walking by. Uh, at the end of the day, we rented some space right outside of Nordstrom at our at our mall, and basically have a have an information center there for a real estate information center. Our signs are up. We have two TV screens there that sort of roll through all our product, our listings, and that's a great way to connect with sellers and, and let them know that they'd be advertised there every day, you know, from the day we list to the day they sell. We have some print material there as well um, that looks like a storefront with basically uh, some hanging glass, uh, you know, uh, dividers that, that listings go in. And uh, two counters, we have Wi-Fi there and a phone, and so it operates really almost as an office. And then we began to staff it. And we've played with different times. Um, right now, we have an, an ISA down at the kiosk, an inside sales agent down there. And uh, she's there to connect with people, answer questions. She's licensed. She actually worked uh, with me on new construction uh, in the past and, and brought her on board as a, as a person to be down there. She has call list uh, during the day, so she'll call through uh, just listed and just sold. So she's really, com- you know, completing two different strategies at once. One, I look at it as we have an open house every day, uh, or five days a week or so uh, from her, uh, which is about seven, about seven hours a day, five days a week. And then our licensed agents go down there and fill some time the other two days. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a strategy that takes some management for sure. It's almost like running a retail space or a storefront, but it has actually put us in the path of a lot of uh, buyers and sellers. Our first full year in terms of trackable volume, and, and we go back to the, you know, could this be a $20 million strategy? Our first full year, of, we had a, about a half year of launch and, and testing, and then the first full year we had it, uh, we did about $13 million 
in real estate volume from it, um, which was to me a, a real, real big win. So, um, and it's been great because even as even people that aren't a hundred percent straight from that kiosk, as I go into sellers or talk to sellers or talk to buyers, many, many, we only have one, one main mall here, uh, on, on one side of the river. Many people have seen it as I, as I, you know, let them know that, oh, we have the kiosk and, and sure enough, people will be like, oh yeah, I have seen that. I have seen that. Yeah. So, so it's been a, it's been a really, a a way to get into the path of future buyers and future sellers or immediate buyers at sometimes in, in immediate sellers. Do you have certain hours during the week that you're shooting the man that? And if so, what are those hours? They're not posted hours, but yes. Uh, you know, she, Shelly, uh, our main person down there, um, is there five days a week. She has two days off. So she's there Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday. Um, she goes in about 10 uh, and uh, she has a little break in the middle, I believe, and she's there um, for right after the rush hour rush, like after work rush as well. So I think she's there until about six or so in the mall. Um, we've done we've done some experimenting. Uh, there's a lot of mall walker, walkers in the morning, so we'll do, and any one of our agents can actually work there and lead generate from there and make calls from there. Um, I've met clients down there. Uh, because, right, we have screens where we can bring up property searches. I've done a buyer consultation down there before. Um, so it, it's, it's, a, it's just a, it's an ever-growing strategy as well as we develop different ways uh, to connect with people. Um, we've done events for Black Friday. So uh, uh, and on the Black Friday event, we actually, as a team, went down there. Uh, we had uh, snacks for people because, right, they came in super, super early. We had contests. We were giving away. Uh, we gave away Starbucks. And so it was just a way to engage with, even at that point in time, it wasn't even they weren't even future buyers or future sellers, but we had cups printed so they can put water bottles, water bottles printed for it. And there was a lot of people walking around the mall with our brand and our, and our logo um, on that Black Friday event. So, you know, we've had some fun with it as well. How do you engage with the public? Are you calling out to people? Are you waiting for them to come to you? How does the interaction occur? We don't. So we aren't, we aren't reaching out. Um, we have an open house sign there to make it, to make it clear of why we're there and what we're doing. Um, our television screens do a, a pretty good job of that as well. Um, we will, you know, uh, Portland is, is, they're really into their college football games. So we will stream uh, during the weekends, we'll stream the college football games on one of our TVs. And that's been a great way as people walk, but right there, some, one of their family members is shopping, whether it's their wife, the husband or the kids. Typically, uh, we can imagine which one it is, and, and the, other, the other party wants to come over and watch the football game while they're waiting. That's helped us engage with some people. Uh, we have call to actions on our, our screens, too. So um, whether it's, uh, you know, find out what your home is worth, get a free list of bank-owned properties. So those will scroll through. Um, and then uh, we actually recently, uh, this year, we added uh, two iPads that are interactive um, that are at the front of the kiosk on each side of it that basically allow people to come and either find out what the value of their home is immediately or search for homes there uh, on, those, on that iPad. So just a little bit more interaction. You said you've done $13 million in volume. Where was the point that, that there's this conversion or this, this change from just being somebody walking down the mall to becoming a client? How does that come about? They are typically walking over, seeing seeing uh, who we are and what we're doing, and then asking a question. The other the other 
way that it has come about is as they're walking by, you know, real estate's a, the reason why we love it is it's interesting, right? I mean, we're passionate about it because it's a fun, it's a fun industry to be in. Everyone loves to look at pictures of homes. So on the back of our kiosk, we have these two walls where our listings are listed. And so people will come over and, and just uh, stand there and be looking up and down and, and just looking at the different flyers that we have. And that's a, that's a, a an easy way to, to ask them, are you looking for a home? Or are you just uh, checking out real estate? And as we, as we just engage in, in conversation, We've connected with investors. We've we connected with uh, one individual that we sold. He had two seven hundred thousand dollar homes that we sold. We have his other home listed for two million right now. And and literally, you know, he he just randomly walked up and said, "I can't believe you guys are here. I was just telling my wife we need to sell our house." And and so that was just right right time right place. And he felt that we were doing something different than most real estate agency knows. And so there was, there was a piece of that, 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 that really is being on the cutting edge of, of just a different way to look at or approach the business clients or potential clients will connect with that or appreciate that. How much does it cost to rent one of those kiosks? You pay monthly. So, you know, it really depends on the mall. Um, it depends on the mall. Quite honestly, it depends on the space, right? Being out front of Nordstrom is, is uh, you know, different than being at the dead end, uh, you know, of, a, of right at the, at the back of the mall where no one goes. So you can, you can lease space in, in, in malls. And again, Portland's going to be different than any other city. So I'm not sure if it's transferable, but, you know, anywhere from you could get space from 1100, you can, you can spend 4,000, which we're not, but, um, but anywhere from 1100 to, let's say, $2,000 a month is what you're really looking at. Do you have plans to expand that into other areas or other malls? You know, our goal as we, as we expand into different cities is to do that if the traffic is right in the mall and if the market is, is right for it. Um, Portland, you know, we looked at traffic studies. We looked at how many thousands of people walk through that mall every single day. We looked at how many millions walk through in a year and, and tried to get a good gauge of, okay, does this make financial sense based on impression? So, um, yep, it, we, we built it in such a way that it can be replicated um, fairly easily and fairly inexpensively. Um, and so it, it, it's something that uh, I would do again and again because it, it really, to be honest, most, most real estate agents in, in the country would say, well, I, I could make a living off of that one strategy, right? So again, everything that we do, we want it to be duplicatable. So we built it around being duplicatable. Yeah, you mentioned traffic studies. You're talking about foot traffic, people going by. Do you recall any of the metrics that maybe somebody would be considering or want to hit? What, what were the metrics in the location that you were looking at? What kind of traffic was going by? I don't recall the numbers, but what I, what I will say, if you're actually going to do this, what's even more important than the numbers is the clientele that goes by. So one of the things that I did and actually hired people to do was sit in different parts of the mall and to just watch and, and gauge what mindset were they in at this portion of the mall, what, what age demographic was there. Um, to, to be honest, we almost, we almost chose a spot right at the entrance of the mall, right where the, right, the main parking lot was. The majority of traffic comes through these doors. And what we found was it would have been, it was not the right place. And, and the reason being is as I sat there and watched, people were just, right, they just finished parking. 
They perhaps just drove around in circles for 20 minutes waiting for a parking spot. They were stressed out. Their kids, right, they just got their kids in from the parking lot. Their strollers are still getting set up, and they just were in a stressful mindset. Or they were going home. They were done. They were either going home because their kids threw a fit or they were just, right, they just were done shopping. And so they weren't really in a relaxed mindset. What we found was where we, where we chose it was down a, a long, there's a long walkway down from that area. By the time that they got to this area, they had sort of, right, got into a, a, a zone, had, had calmed down, were in a good frame of mind. They were about to either walk into Nordstrom, which made them feel good, or they were just walking out of Nordstrom, which means they just bought something. And they were, they were just at a different place. So I would say that if you're going to do it, even more important than traffic count is really sitting down and actually taking, right, taking a couple hours if you're going to invest that kind of money and, and time and strategy and making sure that it is the right place and spot and, and clientele for, for who you're trying to attract. You know, I'm not a shopper, so I'm going to mess this up, but Nordstrom's, that's a, a large department store, a upper scale department store. Is that right? Yeah, Nordstrom is a is a higher end department store. Well, I mean, they are well known for customer service. I mean, they're it's a national, actually now international company that that it's an experience. People go in there and they have a set experience every time. I mean, Nordstrom as a company, right? There's many books on their customer service experience, and and so people coming out just had a great customer experience, um, and people going in uh, are expecting a good customer experience, and and it's it's probably in our mall one of the higher end stores as well. So looking at the clientele that are going that is going to be shopping there was the demographic that we were targeting. And you look good by association. Correct. Well, Chris, I want to talk about your team. Could you give us kind of a picture of the team? Sure. So my team is set up very uh, in a divisional way. Um, I believe that uh, our business has two distinct divisions, and so um, I went out and actually, I believe in the in in the value of leadership. So I have two um, main leadership roles on my team. I have a, a listing divisional leader and a buyer divisional leader, um, and so these are people that have experience in the in the in the industry, um, are, were highly successful on their own. And, uh, basically I brought them in as a divisional leader for each side of my business. So we have a buyer's division and a listing division in each one of those, uh, divisions have a, a, a main lead. And, and that lead is responsible for making sure that uh, there are leads, right? So looking at lead generation strategies, looking at flow, looking at customer service, uh, coaching agents, um, on each division. Our buyer's division is broken down into two buyer's agents. So there's the divisional leader and there's two buyer's agents. And each one of those buyer's agents have a showing assistant. So our model, um, our our basic model is our buyer's agents keep about 50% of the the commission. Um, So they're on a 50-50 split with the team. And then the showing assistants actually make a percentage uh, of that buyer's agent's commission. So the showing assistant is there to provide phenomenal customer service to our, our clients. The buyer's agent will do a buyer consultation. Um, they will find out what, what the buyer wants, what they're looking for, what neighborhood, what product type. And the showing assistant there is there to really provide customer service, open up doors, uh, be available to those buyers. And then when they find the right home, then the, the buyer actually is, is back with the buyer's agent, 
um, for negotiation, contract, and and really contract to close in terms of process. Um, so so that's the buyer's division. Um, so again, there's a buyer's divisional leader. We have two buyer's agents, and each one of those buyer's agents has a showing assistant. And that division has their own transaction coordinator. And their transaction coordinator, basically, in, in, our, in our state, they take it from contract to close, um, paperwork, the, the paperwork end of things and side of things. On the listing division, um, this past year is the first year that uh, uh, I really stepped out and, and I'm not going on every listing. Um, I have a divisional leader, and she will go on listings um, now and then, but she has a, a listing agent. And the listing agent, um, basically, he will go out, he'll, you know, lead will come in, he'll take the listing, um, he'll negotiate the listing uh, when an offer comes in, and then they have a, a on the listing side, there's a, a um, transaction coordinator, and they also have a listing manager. And that listing manager is there to um, make sure that things are marketed properly, get the listing uploaded, do a lot of, I mean, even administrative stuff, as well as a lot of contact with the seller while it's in con- while it's on the market yet not in contract. So, for instance, traffic reports, updates on the market. Um, so that that makes up the listing team. So that's that's our team in its entirety. You split your team by seller and buyer, what if you have a client who wants to sell and buy? Yep, and that happens a lot with us. Um, And so whether it's a seller that's going to buy uh, in that listing presentation, at times, depending on on schedule, we will actually have a buyer's agent go out with the listing agent so that they can meet meet that seller and do a consultation at the same time. Or we'll just set up a second consultation and let them know that, you know, we're going to, we're going to focus and, and, and make sure that their sale goes successfully. And then uh, we're going to have our, our divisional leader from our buyer's division meet with them or talk with them and, and get together and then set up the process for the buy side. So they work with, they work, they'll, in that situation, they'll work with two different agents, one for the listing and one for the buy side. So we stay within our strength zones. It allows us to really focus on set activities um, and, and actually be more efficient and effective at those activities because we're not going back and forth from one side of the business or running around with the buyer and trying to field calls on a listing or, or deliver customer service on one side of the business or another. It, it really keeps us focused. Yeah, you mentioned this showing assistant, and that's that's kind of unique. You mentioned what they do. You also mentioned... Everybody always wants to know about compensation. You mentioned buyer agents are receiving 50%, but you then said the showing assistant receives a percentage of that. What kind of percent? That's negotiated directly with the buyer's agent. So so how? what I believe is, is that in order to, to, to attract talent and to keep talent, um, everybody, real talent wants to be able to grow and not have a, have a limit on their growth. So I've, I've coached my buyer's agents and really built a, a team that they can have unlimited income based on how many transactions, really how, how they convert their leads. I mean, we're in a lead generation, lead conversion business, right? So, so their goal, my goal is, is for them to be able to do, really get to a place where they could do two, three, four, five different consultations a day because uh, that, that's really where you're converting. Have multiple showing assistants um, that they pay a percentage of their 50% uh, and then be there to negotiate the transaction and then hand off to a transaction 
transaction coordinator, which doesn't limit them on income potential. Um, it, what that's going to do is they're going to have to be a good leader of their own business, their buyer's division or their buyer business, their book of business. They have to lead those showing assistants well. So, um, I, you know, and that, that changes. So uh, we have showing assistants, I think, that are making half of that uh, 50%, so they're making 25%. Um, at times, the showing assistant will, will be as low as 15%. And, and, and it, obviously, that depends on, on sales price, right, and commission. But when you're, when you're right, let's, if it's a $10,000 commission and they're getting 15% and, and, and their buyer's agent continues to feed them so that they're closing six, seven, eight, eight deals a month, when you're looking at that, that's a, that's a really good business and a, and, a, and a living for that showing assistant as well. So I think sometimes as real estate agents, our industry always wants to know, hey, what percent, what percent, what percent do I make? When in reality, we talk about what is my opportunity, what's my opportunity? And so when you're looking at that opportunity, I think um, year to date, uh, you know, our showing assistants have made uh, 50, uh, I have a showing assistant that's made 50,000, one that's made, I think, just under 50,000, and they have September, October, November, and December to go. So our showing assistants will make decent money, and, and they're, they have a different skill set. One of our showing assistants was hired actually from Nordstrom, believe it or not. And, and the reason why is because they go through incredible customer service training. So they, their skill set is they're they're a high vector too, right? They're they're very social individuals, which which keeps those buyers engaged. And 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 I will also say that my show the showing assistants are very very well educated on the market too. They know houses perhaps better than I do, and that's the value to that client. So a lot of people get nervous and say, well, are the buyers going to be handed off? They call you know, PDX property group. They may have even worked with you, Chris, before. Then you hand them off to a buyer's agent who has them working with a showing assistant. If scripted properly and the client understands that the reason why they do that is because they're going to, they're going to experience a, a phenomenal, right, home buying experience, they welcome it and they don't have a, a hang up. It's, it's our industry that, that forces us to believe that it's a certain way or it has to be a certain percent even um, in order for, for talent to, to want to be a part of it. So it's really, it's creating an opportunity for the buyer's agent. Our buyer's agent, uh, one of our buyer's agents actually started as a showing assistant and, and really built up to the point where he actually uh, moved into the role of a buyer's agent. So there's a career path there even for a showing assistant. Typically, our showing assistants have all been new to the industry, uh, which we love. I love new agents, um, getting them trained the way, the way you want your team to run. So, um, so it's been a good process for us. You're really empowering a lot of people on your team to make a lot of decisions and almost like a little decentralized. I'm, I'm trying to think of how to describe your organization. It has a lot of decentralized parts. You're, you're pushing down, you're delegating out a lot of decisions throughout the team. Does that sound correct? Yeah, and I would say that that is really what's fueled growth as well. I, I think that the, the, more, the more decisions that I have to make, the more the business will be 100% dependent on me. Um, people are not empowered in the organization that well, way. And, and also my clients are going, the clients will, what will happen is they will have to be my clients. And, and I don't necessarily want that. I, I want to create and build a brand. I want to create and build a team that actually enjoys working together and then is focused on the experience for the client. So people, it, 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 it 
took some getting used to, honestly. I mean, the first time that we had clients running through the, going through our, our team and our business and, and they never talked to me and I didn't know them. It was, uh, it was eye opening to realize, yeah, you know what? They don't hire me. They're, they're hiring an experience uh, <laughs> to go through a process. And I think when I, when I realized that, then it, it, the business did become really, really fun for me because I'm a business person, but I realized that the, my, my role on the team was to one, uh, continue to, to, to find opportunities for business for the team members and also be that sort of coach uh, to those uh, to those around me and and they were uh, the agents that were that, that had clients so it's a mindset shift for sure but you know, I, I look at where I came from and I was right. I, you know, I was, I had a ceiling of achievement right around 12, 13, 14 million in volume. And for five years in Eugene, that's what I did year after year after year, no growth. And I struggled. Now I was doing it all on my own and I didn't have a business model that helped me uh, grow and, and, and hire properly. And, and really, I had to make a decision of whether or not I wanted to go backwards a little bit. And, and let's be honest, if you're going to sell 10 to $15 million in real estate, you should be able to live a, a decent life. And if not, perhaps your standards are... It's, and again, it's my perspective, but, but I had to decide, do I want to go backwards and, just ha- and, and regain control of a life? Because I do think it's very difficult to do 13, 14, 15 million on your own consistently without dropping the ball. Or did I, did I truly want to build a company and a brand? And if so, then I had to get into business with the right people. So that was a, it was a process and a mindset shift for sure. How does the listing agent get compensated? A listing agent gets compensated as a percentage of the listing. Um, and so how we've, it, it really depends on where that listing is coming from, but uh, it, it, is go, it typically goes anywhere from 15 to 25% of the listing. And you said that's dependent on the source or how the lead came into the business? Yep. Depends, it depends on the source. Depends if I personally have to touch the listing. Um, if I'm going, and I still go out uh, once in a while on appointments. Um, sometimes it's, it's because of who the client is, my history with the client. Um, if I'm going out on an appointment with the listing agent, um, then the, the, the percentage is obviously lower. If he takes it from start to finish, uh, then obviously uh, the percentage is higher. Chris, on your team, you have something called a, an expansion team. What is that? So right now, I think the industry, we're going to see the industry change here in the next couple of years in, in that there are, there are phenomenal business owners that, that connect with a business model or even connect with a company. And um, our company, you know, Keller Williams, is, is really training the top agents within the company, or really any agent, to understand what, what it is to own a business and what it is to even franchise or expand out yourself. And so um, I have been going through uh, coaching and training through our company in, in this expansion model where we take our business model that, that clearly works and, and we document that model and then go out and really go on a talent search and find agents that can, that can execute the systems, tools, and models that we have here in Portland and basically put that right one city over in Vancouver or uh, you know, go south in, 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 in our world or in Oregon going to Salem or going to Corvallis, going back to Eugene, then picking up and, and going across the border and going to Seattle or going to San Francisco. And really, when you, 
when you truly own a business, it should be duplicatable. And then the only question is, how do I get into business with the talent that can run and duplicate the system or follow the system, much like a franchise, much like any franchise, right? Whether it's McDonald's, whether it's Starbucks, whether it's, it's the systems that they created, and then we're able to document in such a way that it's replicatable. And so uh, we've uh, just, um, I have a ex- uh, director of expansion that I hired, uh, and he is uh, really pushing and being at the forefront we meet weekly and go, he's going out looking at talent making sure our systems are documented properly and rolling it out into new cities which is which is an exciting we're really at an exciting uh, part of our business right now well I can't wait to follow up with that and see how that goes that's pretty cool Chris what drives you that is a great question you know I it's interesting because, um, and, and most people will say, well, money doesn't drive me. And I, and I will, I will tell you 100% and those that know me and work around me, money, money does really nothing for me. It does not drive me. Um, uh, profitability drives me. So knowing it doesn't mean that I don't know how much money we're making. Um, models drive me. I, I want to be successful. Or my, my goal, you know, even going back to the history of why I got back into production, uh, I didn't tell that story, but I stepped out of production um, actually when uh, when I had my first child and, it, and actually was hired uh, at our office as a business development coach. And, and that opened up my eyes to, to how important coaching was uh, to our business and how lacking it was in our industry. And I realized how few agents really had the opportunity to realize that they could run big businesses um, if they knew how to do it. And so in MREA, there's an interesting uh, concept or a, a page that talks about the work to earn versus work to learn phase and how in our industry, we typically, we get our license and we jump right in and it's, we want to get into immediate production. And so we go straight to working to earn, right? We, we do these activities to make money, to make money, to make money. When in reality, any other professional industry, right? Doctors have 12, 13, 14 years of the work to learn phase. They, they go to college and then, right, they go to medical school and then oftentimes they have a residency. Uh, lawyers have uh, a sometimes eight to 10 year work to learn phase before they ever start earning money. And we as real estate agents don't give ourselves the, the work to, to learn phase. And so honestly, what drove me was once I realized that there was a business model out there that an, a, any real estate agent could follow, and if implemented and followed, they would be incredibly successful. Um, I sat down with, uh, the, at that time, the owner of the office and, and said, you know, I'm committed to, you know, I've been coaching and, 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 and teaching for the last couple years. And he said, well, are you willing to model it? Are you willing to get back into production and, and do what you teach or coach? And I said, well, sure, it's going to be high accountability and I'm willing to do it. So really what drove me was, was my belief that if you follow a model in the system, you can actually live a, a very, very balanced life and also run a, a pretty phenomenal business. And I was committed that, that you could net a million dollars in real estate. And, and I don't, the million isn't what really drove me, but it was a commitment to set a goal and say, regardless, right, uh, regardless of the number or the, the goal, yeah, the model will take you there. And I, and I always told my agents that you could do that in, you know, as little as three to five years. And so sure enough, you know, at the end of our, really in the middle of our fourth year is when rolling 12 months, we hit that net a million. And that is what, what drove me was proving that 
that any agent could do it because I wasn't a phenomenal, right? I wasn't a, I was a hardworking agent. I was a committed agent, but I was just like anybody else. But I had, I shifted what I was doing and said, fine, I'm not going to get super creative. I'm going to follow a model. And then I, I will prove that this industry is a very simple industry. It's just not easy. It's simple, not easy. Chris, why have you been so successful? Accountability, honestly. Um, obviously, I'm a, I'm a committed and, and driven person just by, by nature of, of who I am. So that, that is fact, right? That is fact and that's truth. Um, but the reason why I, I, I've been successful has been I, I allowed accountability in my life. I allowed uh, myself to hold myself accountable and I allowed other people to hold myself account to hold me accountable rather. And, and really in business, you know, most accountability or most success comes from accountability. The, the other piece that I would say, um, that has helped that is by going outside of my industry for, for clues to success. So going into other industries and, and saying, well, what, is, what do leaders do for their people in other industries or, or what's important? What are, what's the mission, vision, values, beliefs, and perspectives of, of, you know, of an internet-based business like Zappos or what, what, were, what was really the, the success behind Apple or you know, what, does, what does Starbucks do well or what does Nordstrom do well? So by going outside of our industry and actually reading and, and studying what other businesses do and what other, what other great leaders of companies do has been really was, has been influential. Chris, you've mentioned several times during the conversation the MREA book. And for those that don't know, could you tell us what that book is? And I'm pretty sure that you, you do some type of coaching with that, and I'd like to learn more about it. Can you tell me? Yeah, so MREA is I, I refer to it as a red book, and I what's interesting is I found it in, in the bookstore, and anyone in real estate, probably most in real estate, have come across it. It's it stands for the Millionaire Real Estate Agent Book, and and Gary Keller wrote it. Um, what's interesting is Keller Williams isn't mentioned in the book, and so actually I, I read it for years, not even understanding there was a connection between Gary Keller and the book or or the company, but it, it's it was really it was a brainchild of Gary to go out into the industry, regardless of company, regardless of, uh, and just find successful real estate agents. And he started interviewing the, the top agents across the country and really in the world to see, are there certain things that you do to be successful? Really, right? What, very similar to what you're, you're doing and in, in going out and interviewing top agents and saying, Hey, what do you do? And let's share that, right? It came from a place of, of, of sharing. And Gary compiled uh, really what these top agents were doing and, and success typically leaves clues and basically he took these clues together and, and built out what, what seemed to be and what was proved to be a model for a successful real estate business. And, and it's in the book, the millionaire real estate agent book. Well, I, while I was at a, another company, I, I read the book and read the book and I thought, man, this is simple. I can do this. Yet I just, I just, for whatever reason, didn't have accountability to the model, I, I wasn't able to implement it. And that is, right, what drives me. It's a passion behind this model that, that clearly, you know, it, it worked for me once I started implementing the model. So, so part of my passion, and it, and it isn't an economic passion because clearly, you know, my economics are, I make my money in selling real estate, but I'm passionate about this business model. So I, I went to 
MAPS Coaching, which is a real estate coaching company, and, and said, you know, if we had a coaching program that actually coached through MREA, and really there's four main models of, of, the, of the business in this book, if we, if we, if we just showed step-by-step in a 12-week program how to do it, um, more people would do it. It's, it's a lot easier than people think. It's, it's, it's just we don't do it. So that was really how we, how I built and, and wrote, uh, just, it's called model your way to a million. And it's just a, a 12 week, week, uh, over the phone coaching program in a, in a group setting. Model your way to a million. Yep. If somebody were listening right now and wanted to learn more about it, where would they go? They can go to mapscoaching.com and under group coaching, they can, uh, they can find a little bit more about the program. They can also contact me directly. Uh, we just actually started uh, the 12-week program about three weeks ago. We'll actually relaunch it again uh, towards the end of the year, probably in November to ramp up for, the, for 2015. So there'll be a schedule there they can see. And you're, you're the instructor for that class or do they need to ask for you specifically? I uh, know. I'm the only person that teaches it. Yep. Does somebody have to be part of Keller Williams in order to be part of the MAP coaching program? No. In fact, um, probably half the, half the people in, in the program are not KW agents. So um, it's, it's open to, to every company, any agent regardless. And just like that book sits in the bookstore for, for any real estate agent to read. So it's, again, it's, it's open for anyone to be a part of. And, and I welcome uh, different perspectives. So I love having non-KW agents uh, in, the, in the course. Chris, if you're going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first? Uh, the first thing is to to understand that you're in a lead generation business, and the only way that you can lead generate in the long for the long term is to make sure that you have a database. And I know that sounds super simple, um, and, and we all we all say we have one, or we've all started one 21 times, but it's it's committing right up front that everybody you meet is a future client. It's, it's either a future buyer, future seller, immediate buyer, immediate seller. So, so commit, and it doesn't, right? I get that question all the time. Well, what do you use or what database system? To me, honestly, it doesn't matter. Um, any company's program will work. Uh, you know, whether it's branded to the company that you work at or it's a third party. I mean, you could do it uh, on, in Excel, in Outlook, on, on paper, honestly. Um, not, not highly effectively on paper, but, but it, it doesn't matter what system. In other words, it's just committing to the fact that you're in a database business and the worth of your business is going to come down to um, the size and value that you provide your database. So that is, that's the first thing. And then I would say, Look at the industry, figure out different types of lead generation strategies, and just pick one. Pick one that you can do, and not that you tell yourself you can do, right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to get on the phone every day and call for four hours. If you're not going to do it, find something that you will do. Um, for me, right, it was open houses, and, and, and that will parlay itself into or, or grow you into the second strategy or the third strategy, but sometimes we get so overwhelmed with trying to have you know, three legs, four legs of our business, which, yes, a healthy business will will have the three or four legs, but just start with one. Start with one and really perfect it. Chris, do you think that top agent interviews like the one we're doing now with Mastermind Agent are valuable? I will tell you that um, one of the reasons, one of the big reasons why, you know, when you you reached out to me and and said, hey, would you be willing to do it? I, I had no 
apprehension, I said yes. It's because I am where I am today because others have been willing to do this. Uh, my business is a, is a compilation of, of pulling from top agents and, and, and watching and copying. And I think our industry can be highly competitive, and that's unfortunate because uh, I come from a place of, of abundance, and, and there is enough business out there in every single city for every single agent. There really is. And so uh, I think that the only way to get... Uh, to be highly effective and successful in this business is actually by by going to those top agents and finding a way to interview them. Now, many of our personality types don't allow for that, right? We are uncomfortable. So it, it takes... It takes programs like yours that say, hey, I'm going to go out there, I'm going to interview those agents and provide it, that, uh, that honestly, are, it will continue to change your interview and I'll support them 100%. Chris, I've come to the end of my questions for today. Do you have any parting thoughts for the listeners? You know, the only thing I'd say is uh, if they're listening, they are, they are in one of the most exciting and, and opportunistic industries uh, of any. And I think that uh, as, long as, as long as we continue to commit to, to being professional, um, our industry will continue to grow and, and get better. I think it gets better every single year. Um, and it's because there's more and more professionals entering our industry and, and being willing to commit to it as a, as a career. So uh, it is, again, it is, it's a very simple business. It's not easy. It's hard work. It, you know, commitment in general, no matter what part of your life, right? Relationship, work, uh, athletic, right? Health. Commitment's difficult, but, but when you commit to it, um, equals results, right? That's where results come from. So, you know, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I, I, I mean it that, to, you know, if anyone wants to reach out individually, I'm always open and, and will always share. So, you know, I know that uh, as, as I was building my business, hearing that from other people, oftentimes I'm like, well, I'm not going to call. I'm not going to email. I mean that sincerely. It's, it's one of the things that drives me being able to help others uh, depending on wherever they are in their business. So um, I leave my door and phone and email open. Um, and yeah, I just appreciate what you're doing for the industry. Well, Chris, I appreciate you taking the time to share with us today. Your persistence and strong work ethic quickly developed a high-producing solo agent practice. After the birth of your first child, you shifted gears and helped other agents develop their businesses by modeling success. At the same time, you gained a deeper understanding of models, systems, leverage, and leadership. Then you applied those principles to your new team and proved you could net a million dollars annually, less than five years from startup. You're an inspiration to all aspiring agents. Thank you for sharing and being our top agent of the month. And join us next call when we talk to an agent who sold 101 homes last year and generates the majority of her business from prospecting. Find out who she is on the next success call. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, Real GTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss 
their best lead generation methods, visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward. You've been listening to Success Calls on the Mastermind Agent Network, where top real estate agents from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the calls at www.mastermindagent.com.